0: I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be drilling uh, a little bit in First Peter because I'm going to be talking about Peter, and uh, he's the author of First Peter there, and of course Second Peter, and we go through uh, his life for a moment. But if you notice very carefully, he begins uh, in the first chapter, First Peter. Matter of fact, in the sideline, you'll notice that Peter is is talking and greeting and writing to the crucified uh, church the church that has been dispersed scattered abroad out of fear threat of their lives and that's who he's talking to he's speaking to those individuals who have stood for their faith many have died many are still under persecution so i want you to think as i talk about peter i want you to remember who the book was written to And then I'm going to ask you to indulge me for a moment in the book that I am a bit intrigued with, that I weep over. It is The Global War on Christians by John Allen Jr. And uh, a new release of this book last year in 2016. But he begins, and, and a part or two of it is a little stiff. So I just want to let you know that he makes this statement as i read it He's, this book is about the most dramatic religion or dramatic religion story of the early 21st century yet one of the most people in the west have little idea that is even happening it is the global war on christians we're not talking about metaphorical war on religion in europe The United States fought on symbolic terrain such as whether it's okay to erect a nativity scene on the courthouse steps, but a rising tide of legal oppression, social harassment, and direct physical violence with Christians as its leading victims. However, counterintuitive it may seem in light of popular stereotypes of Christianity as a powerful and sometimes oppressive social force. Christians today indisputably are the most persecuted religious body on the planet. And too often, their new martyrs suffer in silence. He said the meteor camp, meteor camp, military camp and prison located in Estrion, which is a desert off the coast of the Red Sea. How many has ever heard of the Red Sea? this is an actual location, is a compelling place to begin. He said, the prisoner's signature bit of cruelty is the use of crude metal shipping containers that hold inmates with so many people forced into these 40 by 38 spaces designed to transport commercial cargo that prisoners typically have no room to lie down and barely enough to sit The metal in desert temperatures, which means bone-chilling cold at night and wilting heat during the day, when the sun is at its peak, temperature inside the containers reach, believe, 115 degrees. One former inmate, blessed enough to be released after serving up a coerced confession, described the containers as giant ovens baking people alive. Because prisoners are given little water, they sometimes end up drinking their own scant sweat and urine to stay alive. When not in lockdown, prisoners are forced into pointless exercises, such as counting grains of sand in the desert at midday. And stores die from heat strokes and dehydration. There are no toilets inside the containers, just crude buckets overflowing with urine and feces, placing inmates at risk of infection with disease such as cholera and diphtheria. Prisoners have no contact with their families or friends, no legal representation, and no medical care. Forms of torture at the meter include making inmates kneel on a tree trunk and beating the soles of their feet with rubber hoses, hanging prisoners by their arms, exposing them to the sun, sometimes for 48 hours or more, and forcing prisoners to walk barefoot over stones and thorns with beating for not going fast enough. Meteor was opened in 2009 by the Estria Single Regime, controlled by the People Front for Democracy and Justice, and is still going strong. Despite the fact its horrors are well documented. Diplomatic cables released in twenty eleven by WikiLeaks revealed the US officials had interviewed escapees from its serious concentration camps and passed along reports to the State Department. Here's how one female survivor described life at night inside the shipping container. A single candle flickers, its flame barely illuminating the darkness. They never burn for more than two hours after the door is locked and there's not enough oxygen to keep the flame alive. The air is thick with dirty metallic tang, ever-pressed stench of buckets in the corner and the smell of close-pressed, unwashed bodies. Despite the proximity of so many people, it's freezing cold. The survivor described being forced into a squat, squat on her haunches and lift three different sized rocks while moving it from one side to the other and then over and over again. At one point, she was tossed into a container with a female inmate who had been beaten so badly her uterus was actually hanging outside her body. The survivor desperately tried to push or, organ back in the body and cries for help when unanswered. The real issue as they continue on is this nobody cares. No one's doing anything. No one's raising a flag. No organization is coming to the aid. And they're dying, they're dying in this area 20 per hour. 20 people per hour because of their Christian faith. I read that and it has caused me to focus and ask the question are we doing enough or where are we missing it? It causes you to focus on your blessing rather than your pain. Causes you to to focus on the wonderful touch of God that we all enjoy as opposed to others who will not recant their faith simply because they're in love with Jesus. It also causes you to want to run to their aid. There are many organizations that are trying, but the reality is you have to have diplomatic channels diplomatic channels to be able to get in and to do something. They actually identify several other areas because you hear often about, they say, Guantanamo Bay. They said Guantanamo Bay treats those prisoners who are torturing Christians in their own countries as if they're staying at a fine hotel in America. And while they're doing things torturing Christians in other countries, And none of them, he says, will ever be rehabilitated because they're sold out to their God. Peter writes his book to the tortured. He writes his book to those that have been dispersed. And in my study, here's what I discovered no matter how much I read this, that the challenges that the early church and those, that Peter ministered to, were far worse than this. And I cannot imagine how it can be far worse until you really dig down and you read books on martyrdom and what the early church went through. And it causes one in the 21st century who might live here in America with a a packet of problems on our own backs or challenges that are between our ears or in our heart It causes us to take a different perspective and think, wow, I'm not in that kind of a situation, so there must be hope for me. The message is entitled, Live Above Your your Weakness. Live above your weakness. As we look at it, we find that you and I can be beat down and depressed. I ask myself in preparation for the message, how much does it take to get an average individual to just want to throw their hands up and quit? Being told no over and over and over again. Having to relive a desperate situation over and over again. Climbing up almost to the top tier of the ladder, believing that your next step is going to be, I conquered only to get knocked back again. Back where you started, maybe further back than where you started. And how long can you stand that kind of rejection? How long can you stand that kind of challenge? How long can you stand knowing, wow, I can never seem for any prolonged period of time to be able to get where I need to be? And then someone comes along on a Wednesday night and may say to you and may say to the many of you who are online listening around the world, God wants you to enjoy victory. But you see, our perception of what victory is may be warped to some degree. Our perception of victory is winning. Our perception of victory as we overcame, our perception of victory is when we accomplished something that there was an adversarial force. But victory can also be described by any one of those individuals in that freight container who died and did not recant their testimony, but stood firm and from all social and cultural appearances they died for nothing except one thing knowing that one day they will hear someone greater than you and I say well done. Victory is found in many different places for many different reasons. Peter's life is one that really is interesting Logan Smith wrote there are two things to aim at in life. First to get what you want you got it to get what you want. You get to the top of the ladder to get what you want. And the other is to enjoy it. Once you got what you want to really enjoy it, he said only the wisest of men, the wisest of men achieve the ladder. A lot of us get what we want. A lot of us get more than we deserve. But do we, do we enjoy it once we have it? And that was one of the seemingly the things that Peter could never latch on to in his life. An individual that was, in fact, aggressive in every way, shape, and form. Not lazy. you are got to climb the ladder, Peter would climb it. And in this book, he writes, but I want to write because I now believe I have credentials and I have a testimony from being nothing to making mistakes to being able to write now to a church that has been whipped around, beat, disturbed, abused, tortured, killed in many cases and now have no place to lay their head and that's who I want to write to. So it writes words of encouragement to those who might have an opportunity to read it and there just may be some of us in this room tonight that this same word that Peter wrote that we believe is the inspired word of God that will help us tonight wherever we're at in our season or our journey of life. And here it is, point one, victory of the past. Peter writes in First Peter 1 verse 3, it's there in your book, in the Bible, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's declaring these people have been tortured, dispersed. They're not totally up to date on what really has happened. They just know that they became followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying to them, listen, understand, give God praise. Give God praise. Give Him honor because there is something that is called the resurrection. And God can give you victory as it relates to your past challenges there. He declares that we have an abundance of mercy. Somebody say, Amen. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And we have an abundance of hope because of one thing Jesus' death and resurrection. So He says, if you die, in the middle of a desert in a freight container, if you die on the field serving as a missionary, if you die not recanting your faith in an American culture, if you die a death of old age and you've lived your life right on through, he says, understand there is hope in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter can do some own personal reflection. If you were to ask him, did you always get it right? I would surmise that Peter probably got it wrong more than he got it right. But listen carefully. He got it right in the important places. Amen? He got it right in the important places. How wonderful is that? He was impulsive. Do you know anyone impulsive? I mean, if you put it out there, I mean, they'll just come at it. They are so impulsive. Peter had that impulse that was there. He said, if you wish, when Jesus is talking, I'll build three monuments up and, and share one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Jesus put him back in his place and said, hey, that's too impulsive. You don't even know what you're talking about. But if you're counting on me, I'll get it done. The other is presumptuous. You know anyone that's presumptuous? Well, a lot of people are, and never, 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 Lord, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus and said, hey, no one is ever, ever, ever going to get in your way, and no one is going to deny you. He was cowardly when he looked and got, okay, he stepped over the boat, he did more than what most of us do, but when he saw the wind, he began to sink, self-seeking, here it is, Self-seeking. He said, hey, things are tough, Jesus. This is found in Matthew 19, 27. But he said, may I remind you, I left everything to follow you. I left my boats. I left my crew. I left my family. I left those closest to me. Listen, may I remind you what I've done to be able to follow after you as one of your disciples. Well, slow to comprehend spiritual truth. I mean, that I know of, Peter was the only one that Jesus looked at and say, why are you so dull in your understanding? How is it that you don't get it? He was rash, took a sword and cut the the soldier's ear off. Jesus had to fix that. He associated with evil, wasn't good enough, out of curiosity, whatever reason he did it. He's standing at a fire of enemies that had no desire to love on Jesus. He denied knowing Jesus when asked about it. So I'm telling you, rash, cowardly, denied Jesus, self-seeking, and even blasphemous blasphemed. It says that he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them. I don't know this man. Always vocal, always opinionated. If you want to know his opinion, just ask him. He'd tell you often before you had to ask. It must have been many who wondered, why does Jesus keep putting up with Peter? Why does Jesus keep putting up with you? Why does Jesus keep putting up with me? Why does Jesus keep putting up with the American church? Why hasn't judgment fallen on our country? May I say it's coming. But we have hope which is in Jesus Christ. How is it that you feel like, buddy, there's a strong target on me? I'm the one when you said almost reached the top again in the season, I've had to go back down. Let me tell you something, if God allowed you to get up and then he allows you to go down, it's because he desires you to go up the next time and learn more on the second trip than what you learned on the first trip. So he says, why? You see, the battle that Peter had was right between his ears his emotions could not be contained when he heard the cock crow and it crowed and his emotions got to the best of him and it says peter went out and wept bitterly how could i be so stupid how could i be so careless how could i how could i be so weak how could i be in this season i just said to jesus not long before now. How could I have fallen knowing that he'd already said that it would happen? How could that happen to me? Every time he turned around something else took place that he did not get right. Something else took place that pushed him back down. And he must have prayed earnestly to God to help him. And it He didn't know how to get a handle on his life. Well, there are stages, if you look at life cycle, that says in this cycle, here's what you ought to be able to accomplish. And then when you get into this cycle of your life and this particular time period, you ought to be here. When you get in this particular time period, you ought to be here. And then when the sun begins to go down, this is what your retirement portfolio is supposed to look like. This is the kind of condition you're supposed to be in health-wise. These are the things you're supposed to have done. May I tell you something? very few people you know have those perfect time periods in their life that match up do you know why We made mistakes, we made failures, we miscalculated, we blew it, we looked back, God came to us and we had to relive something that we didn't get right. Peter wept bitterly and his past continually haunted him. He could not get a a handle. But here's what I've noticed. This will give you hope and it gave me hope as as the Holy Spirit gave it to me. I found that many times people with the greatest spiritual potential have this personal challenge that it seems like it's one thing after another. One thing after another. Before Jesus' ascension, after his resurrection, he went to Peter. I can't imagine what it must have felt like when Peter's weeping and his life must have played out before him. He already knew that this man, Jesus, was no ordinary man. And he came to the realization, buddy, this time, this is supernatural. I blasphemed. I lied. I denied. And I knew better. what hope do I have? You can get that way today. You can get that way in your own life and the culture in which we believe. Everybody's supposed to have a 34 waist, supposed to have at least a 31 inseam, supposed to have a 42 chest. I'm talking about the men. Teeth are supposed to look just right, have them white, no nose hairs, no ear hairs, hopefully some hair. <laughs> and the culture in which you live will say, because of that, you don't even, we don't even grade you. And then here's something else the culture does. If you don't believe in same-sex marriage, if you don't believe, of course, that it's all right for abortion, and you go down the agenda of the enemy himself, then your opinion does not count because you're out of touch with reality. Let me suggest to you that the reality of God's Word is far greater in the culture in which we live than you and I can ever imagine. Amen? let me just tell you that adverse culture out there is not large enough to overcome the power of the Word of God functioning today. So here's what happened, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, he says, he realized that he, hey, I want to pursue the future now. He realized, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature and the old is gone, he's become new. Here's the second thing. In the past, relive the track over and over again. These individuals that I mentioned, and as sad as it is, and these individuals here had it far worse than those individuals here. Well, then how should my life be lived out? I I believe that we can have victory in the present. I think you can have victory and be uncomfortable. I think you can have victory and not have everything you want. I think you can have victory and... Oh, some money. I think you can have victory, friend, and have physical difficulty because victory is not found in the things that you can touch. Victory is found in the peace that you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Victory is knowing. I tell you what, I'm engaged in not only discomfort and I'm uncomfortable, but I'm sacrificing more now than I could ever believe because I believe that's the will of God for me. Victory in the present. Here's what he's talking about again to these individuals that are dispersed church and these. He said, In this, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I mean, diversified trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, I didn't know there was such a thing, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What he's saying is there is something yet ahead of us that is far more valuable than gold. Amen? Far more valuable than gold, he uses gold because that was an object that was considered to be the highest standard of will. Peter knew what it was to experience that trouble. His nature would hardly let him ever stay away from the fire of getting in trouble or having something slap him back before he grew in spiritual maturity. He was always around the fire, and Peter, of course, thought he could overcome it through his own strength, his own power, and his personal ability. So he's outside the hall of justice in Matthew 26, 69. Every time he tried to get out of trouble, every time he complained, every time he lapsed back, he would get in deeper trouble. And when he matured, he saw things differently. I was at lunch today with someone as another minister in another church, and he was telling me, about the challenges that he's going through. And he said, Pastor Blackman, I, I need your help. i made, this is my first church, and I've made so many mistakes. And he began to enumerate his mistakes. And he says, But, you know, you learn. He made this statement you learn, you learn by your mistakes. I said, uh, Well, let me help you rephrase that. You are supposed to learn from your mistakes. Because quite frankly, I know far more people who didn't learn than those that did learn. Peter was one of the ones that took a while for him to learn. When he matured, he says, temptation, I agree, temptation is going to come. So it's going to be there. I'm not going to run from it. not going to tell God, don't tempt me. He said, I know that it's only going to be there for a season. I know that discouragement is going to come. I know that I'm not always going to be on the top on the bubble. I'm not always going to get the phone call of good news. I'm not always going to get the compliment. I'm not always going to be able to, to be able to get the reward that I had already paid the price for. So I know discouragement will come. He says, and also, I know that the trial of my faith will come. And if you are going through a trial, a major trial tonight, let me tell you something. Your adversary has only one reason for the season you're in right now, and it's the devil's desire to take away that which God has gifted you with, and that is your peace and your own personal salvation. Amen? The enemy would love for you to get the sidetrack and not enjoy the beauty of your salvation. And friend, he won't, listen, gentlemen, he won't dance a bunch of women that look like, good Lord, they're wearing so much haphazard clothing made of spandex. He will dance the ones there that you'll say, that is a model. That is a model. If I've ever seen one, somebody talk back to me tonight. That's the power of darkness. He never shows his ugly stuff. Never. For Peter, it was authority and control and influence. He said, the trial of your faith will come. But he says, by your faith in Christ, he says, your present trial, your present trial is like gold being exposed to the fire. So gold exposed to the fire um, has greater value when the dross is out. Pure gold surfaces, dross separates, and is identified. Peter Peter says the fastest way to deal with the present, one, is to acknowledge God's hand. I believe God's hand is upon me. Say that with me. I believe God's hand is upon me. Let's say it again. I believe God's hand is upon me. I acknowledge God's hand. And then I want to place my heart on the altar. God, I don't want anyone else to have my heart, have influence over my heart. I place my heart on the altar, and then I will rejoice because this too shall pass. Amen? This too shall pass. Say it with me. This too shall pass. Peter says, you that are dispersed and you that are hurting, remember that. Rejoice. Rejoice. Keep your heart on the altar before God, and know this will pass. Remember, the battlefield is between our ears and our hearts. So then you have the writer of Ecclesiastes. Everybody knows who wrote Ecclesiastes, Leroy, right? Solomon said, I undertook great projects. Now he's writing this from a perspective of past challenges in his life. He said, I took great projects and I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. I took delight. In all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and when I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Why? Because he said I did not pay attention to the number one priority and that everything that I had was because of the blessing and the anointing and the call of God in my life. And it was him that I owed everything to. Is it possible that in this room or listening online that some of you in this room That God may be knocking on your heart's door saying, Get busy. Get busy. Dislodge your comfort zone. Wake up. Don't go to sleep. Don't think you've arrived. There's still things that need to be done. People right here, individuals in this dispersed church, the writer says to settle the present in your mind, in your heart, you have to come to the conclusion dispersed church, he says, Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He says, you have the power to have victory over the present. If you so choose, you can override and rise higher than your weakness. Finally, victory for the future. You know, I'm torn because I said, there's victory ahead, victory ahead. That's an old song of the church. That's about all the words that I know of it. I I believe it's a song of the church. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me. He loved me air and all my... You sound like a beginner choir. Is it true? Is it true? Is it sweet? Is it beautiful? I'm torn between God. I want to I want to have a great future. But I don't I number one, I don't want to be focused on my past except what I can fish out of it of lessons that I've learned. And I don't want to get so carried away with my present that I get comfortable in my own Christian experience because I know others behind me paid for the place I'm able to stand now. And then I don't want to get so concentrated on my future that I don't enjoy where I'm at right now. If you're constantly living for the future, it's going to be better tomorrow. Tomorrow, my prayer is going to, tomorrow it's going to come to pass. What about right now? What about today? Oh, victory in Jesus, my sin. What about right now? Even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, though you have not seen him... You love Him, and even though you do not see Him, now you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Everybody I know wants to have a productive and prosperous and happy, fulfilling, and exciting future. And it will be. As long as your future and the success of your future is not something that's out there that you might want. But it's proven that you can live in a 115 degree metal shipping container and be charged with counting particles of sand at high noon in the desert. And still, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. That's the reason why I love him so. For Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Stand with me. I. Love Him, sing with me. I love Him because He first loved me and He just my salvation. Can we sing it again? Would you lift your hands and let's just thank him and praise him. Would you do that? That's certainly not out of order. Sing it with us. Peter said the greatest victory is the peace that you can find in your heart the peace of mind the rebuke of the lie of Satan you can rejoice in your trial you can believe God knows best and you can know that if you feel the heat of the fire that there's gold in you that God wants to refine and the things that would hinder you He's going to bring to the surface. And the greatest victory at the end of the day is when you bring honor and glory to God and declare Him as your Lord and Savior. For He says in verse 9 of 1 Peter 1, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How beautiful is that? Amen.